Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Saja Radio, your chance to interact with some fascinating speakers across the country and around the world. My name is Sri Srinivasan, a co-founder of Saja. I'm also a professor of journalism at Columbia University and a technology reporter for WNBC-TV. Today, we're going to be hosting an author chat, our first author chat, and that's with Sandeep Johar, a doctor who's written a wonderful new book called Intern, A Doctor's Initiation. He's also a longtime contributor to the New York Times, having written more than 60 pieces over the last uh, nine, ten years. Welcome, Sandeep. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I know you're uh, here in the middle of doing a lot of promotional work for the book. Um, does it get tiring? Uh, you know, it's it's been a lot of fun so far. This has been a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate your making time for us. Uh, as you know, this is kind of new technology that we're testing on Blog Talk Radio, mm-hmm. and we're going to try to get our programming out to our members who are not in the big cities and uh, or elsewhere. That's the whole point of this. Great. Uh, tell us about the book. Well, the, the book is a uh, memoir of my medical apprenticeship at uh, a large hospital in New York uh, called New York Hospital. Um, I started my internship in uh, June of 98. went on for a year, and it you know, probably, as with most doctors, one of the most grueling uh, years of my life. And, uh, I really wanted to uh, record uh, a history of that year for myself uh, before I for uh, I, I forgot everything, and uh, and also for my family who had heard so many of these stories before, and I, I guess most of all for for future doctors, you know, so they know, you know, exactly what they're getting into and how. You know, ultimately, at least in my view, it's a very re- rewarding experience. But when you're going through it, uh, it's sometimes easy to lose sight of that. And 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 I I also wanted to present medicine, you know, the way. I see it and the way I think it really is, um, the the reality of it, not what's presented in uh, popular media uh, that that patients often see, but you know the way it really is. And the doctors in 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 all their glory and also in all their fallibility and medicine and its uncertainty. And you certainly captured all of that. I know reading the book, uh, it, it it does confirm a lot of the things we hear from the outside, but also a lot of new insight, I think, that uh, will be shocking, scary to some people. Uh, what has been the reaction to the book? Uh, are people's faith in the medical system renewed, or are people scared? As What do people tell you? Well, you know, it's it's been varied. Uh, I think that the reaction from from other doctors has been you know, almost uniformly positive. Um, I think that uh, you know the the feedback I've gotten is that that the book really portrays in, internship the way that most doctors remember it, uh, which is a, a really grueling, uh, uh, grueling, brutal rite of passage. Um, you know, uh, and, and you know at, at the same time, you know, one of my concerns was that because I was sort of pointing out the the um, the mistakes that can happen in the system, uh, as well as the the fallibility of practicing physicians, that um, that there would be some uh, backlash from that. But 
the reality is that in the book, when I do point out incompetence, it's almost always my own um, as a green intern, you know, having just graduated from medical school. Um, so I think most, uh, most of my colleagues and you know, doctors that I've gotten feedback from appreciate that. Um, some patients have, have emailed me. You know, there has been some concern on their part uh, about uh, you know, what happens in teaching hospitals. But I, I think that the book should really empower patients to, uh, you know, to, I think, you know, knowledge is power. And I think, you know, once patients really get have a sense of the way things really operate, then they're more apt to advocate for themselves and um, ask questions of their physicians and really demand more of their physicians. Uh, and I think in the end, uh, they'll be well served. And uh, in terms of your own friends and family that you describe in the in the book, what have they had to say? Yeah, you know, um, they, they they've been very uh, very very supportive. Uh, my my father, my brother, um, and my wife are the sort of the three main um, subsidiary characters in the book. And you know, they had they they had read uh, uh, all the rough drafts, and um, you know, I. I portray my father in sort of a colorful light, and I portray him in all his uh, strengths and foibles, and, you know, his, uh, you know, one of the reasons why uh, why I love him so much is that he's able to, um, to, to understand what I was trying to do, and, uh, uh, and he's, he has a very strong sense of himself, and, uh, you know, his, my characterizations of him didn't bother him. Uh, he knows where, you know, what I what I truly feel about about him, and I think it came out in the book. I know a lot of uh, Indian dads would not be as tolerant of, of public caring about anything. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, talk. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know you were born in New Delhi. You came yeah. to America when? Uh, we we actually left India when I was uh, three and a half. We moved to Wales. You know, my father is a plant geneticist, so uh, he got a job in uh, in Wales at the Welsh Plant Breeding Station, which is one of the, the premier institutes for plant genetics uh, in Europe. Uh, so we moved there when I was three and a half. We stayed there till I was about seven. Moved back to India uh, for about 11 months, and that was in uh, 75, 76, around the time that Indira Gandhi had imposed the emergency rule. There was a lot of uh, sort of tumult uh, you know, in India at the time, and uh, and my father, you know, decided that that you know he, his career would be better served by uh, by moving to back to Europe or perhaps to the United States. So we actually moved to London for a few months, and then eventually made our way to Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> After all those big big cities, and um, we we moved to a small, relatively small city in Kentucky, and then eventually. After a couple of years, moved to California. I grew up in uh, uh, in Riverside, which is a suburb uh, in Southern California, about 60 miles from Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, did all my schooling, um, jun- you know, junior high school, high school, Riverside, and then moved to Berkeley for college. Yeah. And uh, what is what was it like to be uh, an Indian growing up in the 70s in in that part of America? <laughs> uh, well, you know. It, uh, it, it had its own unique challenges. Uh, you know, when I 
when we moved to Kentucky, uh, I had a very odd mixture of a British and Indian accent, which didn't go over well in Kentucky in the mid to late 1970s, especially in elementary school. So uh, uh, I, I had some, uh, some some odd sayings and sort of odd, odd ways of expressing myself that that uh, that was made it hard to to make friends initially. But uh, give me an example if you remember. You know, uh, um, I think at one point someone uh, someone uh, asked me how how old I was, and I said uh, I'm. I'm half past seven, and uh, <laughs> you know, just I, I, I'm not sure, you know, and that, that led to a lot of, uh, you know, uh, you know, joking around, and and uh, I, I remember uh, I I had been taught in in India that the, that uh, that that the North Pole was the coldest place in the world, and in Kentucky they had, they were taught that the that Antarctica was the coldest uh, spot in the world. I think. Uh, Accurately, so there was, that led to a lot of debate over which was the coldest place. Uh, but, you know, but it was all it, it all worked out well. And kids are very resilient, and, uh, and you know, I have fond memories. Now, you were probably the kind of dream child for all South Asian parents. You became a doctor. Did you always want to be a doctor? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, not at all. I, I you know, when, when I first uh, moved to to the U.S., you know, my my parents really pushed medicine on both me and my brother uh and to my and my sister to 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 some degree um my brother somehow always knew he wanted to be a doctor uh and when we were gro- when we were growing up in New Delhi uh we used to spend some time with our uh our nana and he was a uh he was a doctor he had his own clinic and I spent time with him and I'd see him you know treating patients in his clinic uh you know treating them for boils and sepsis and sort of Common conditions, and um, you know, it just never struck my fancy as something that I really wanted to do with my life. And so, when we moved to the U.S., you know, father said, you know, uh, I'm sure at some point he said something about how you know we were immigrants, and uh, you know, and and it was important to pick a stable career track that you know. And uh, when I was eight, nine, ten years old, I, I wanted nothing to do with that, and I, I told him I wanted to be a uh, a nuclear arms negotiator, uh, and then for a while I wanted to be a private investigator. I mean, I, I had sort of these very different uh, views uh, about about what I wanted uh, out of life. But uh, but you know, in the end, I came around to my parents' dream. But it took a while. No, it's not from watching Magnum PI that you wanted to be either of those. <laughs> <laughs> I like most immigrant Indian kids. I probably watched way more television than I should have. A lot less, than, uh, a lot more than I, I I let my son watch. I know that uh, that was the case with me as well. I, I came here when I was nine, and we watched too, way too much TV. Uh, tell us about uh, the process. Uh, you know, walk us through your actually deciding to become a doctor, and uh, you know, walk us through the first couple of years of applying to you know undergrad and then college. Yeah, and then med school. Yeah, well, I I went to Berkeley for for my undergrad training, and you know, when I when I when I got to Berkeley, I. I Probably at the time was interested in in going into you know, political science or history. You know, I, I always really, I, I always enjoyed writing in in high school, um, but never thought of writing as a as something that one could do for a career. You know, it was never presented that way. Um, 
So I figured, you know, I'd become a professor of you know, history or political science or something. Um, but then very quickly, I just didn't find myself getting challenged the way I wanted to in those classes. So um, for very odd reasons, I got uh, I got stuck on physics. Uh, I, I, I happened to be in a dorm where there were a lot of quants, you know, who were studying computer science and physics and math. And I really respected them. They just had just this amazing talent, um, and and I, you know, sort of wanted to be like them. And uh, even though I didn't have the sort of inherent talent that they did for numbers and number theory and so on, I just was just fascinated by um, by by uh, by sort of quantitative theory. My my uh, freshman year roommate was a, was a Russian guy who was a double major in math and physics. He introduced me to Ramanujam and uh, you know the famous Indian mathematician uh, who did was never trained in number theory, but really came up with some of the most amazing number theorems, uh, you know, of all time. And uh, so, you know, I was just very fascinated by the way these people thought, and uh, and I and I really wanted to emulate them. So I studied physics, um, but by the time I finished um, my my college, it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to be able to do physics at the level that that some of my peers were doing it, where I you know, was going to become a professor at uh, you know Berkeley, for example. Um, you know, it was that you know, the, there was there was a the sort of inherent talent issue, but there was also more troubling was the luck issue. You know, you could you could you could do research for you know for for years and really have nothing to show for it, and um, and less talented people could just luck upon uh, a, an interesting result and and get a you know tenure track job. Uh, so. You know, around the time I ended up going to physics graduate school because I really didn't know what else I wanted to do. Where was this? Uh, at Berkeley. Uh, I stayed at Berkeley for graduate school, and I was going to get a PhD uh, in physics. And um, midway through my training, um, a very dear friend of mine got sick, and and that was really what spurred me into looking at medicine again, uh, for you know, really in with with a fresh perspective um, because she was so you know she was sick and. And she had a, a chronic illness that didn't really um, that that had no cure. Um, it really spurred me to uh, to talk with doctors and sort of look at medical journals. My brother was a, an intern at the time, and I remember just having a really long conversation with him when we went and came, uh, came together on vacations. I asked him to bring his medical textbooks. I started reading his medical textbooks, trying to figure out what I could do for my friend, and and that really got me interested for the first time in medicine, not so much in the, in the intellectual aspect of medicine or the subject matter, but just the sense that, that you know, that, that what I was doing in physics, I was studying a, a very esoteric object called quantum dots, that really paled uh, before the specter of physical illness. You know, that was sort of all-consuming. And, and, and I realized that that, during those many months, and actually lasted a couple of years, that 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 there was nothing like um, like medicine uh, and and being a doctor in in terms of making an impact on someone's life. And uh, and in the end, I ended up finishing my PhD in physics, but uh, but I applied to medical school toward the latter part of my PhD, got in, and then eventually went to Washington University in St. Louis.
Now tell us about this writing business. Uh, you know, it's hard enough for the rest of us who are full-time journalists to pitch and get stories accepted without competing from folks like you. So how did that happen, and uh, do you have time to – how do you manage to keep that up? Yeah. Well, it, it happened uh, very serendipitously, actually. Um, before I went to medical school, I applied for a science journalism fellowship at Time Magazine, and um, and, and I got it just for the summer. I spent the summer in Washington D.C. and uh, I'm, uh, I was, you know, I left in August uh, to go to St. Louis to start medical school. Before I left, I, I asked um, the the Time bureau chief, uh, a guy named Dan Goodgame, turned out to be a real mentor, um, whether he could suggest some names of journalists I could call on in the, in the future. So he gave me a few names of you know people at the Tampa Tribune, uh, I think even the Miami Herald. Um, you know, good newspapers. I said, yeah, that's fine, but what about the New York Times? Mm-hmm. And um, and so he gave me the name of, of Gerald Boyd, and I'm sure you know who Gerald Boyd was. Um, managing editor. Of yeah. the, I don't know if he was managing editor by the time you contacted he, he him. He wasn't. He was a senior, I think he was a national political editor at the, at the time when I contacted him. And, and he was a great mentor to many, many people. Yes. Uh, he died uh, yes. last year. Yes, of, of lung cancer, unfortunately. But, um, but what, so I... I went to St. Louis, and one day I was just fed up with memorizing the cranial nerves, and 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 I decided to give him a call. I call him up, and and it you know it just turned out that Boyd was from St. Louis, and actually lived on the same street that I was living on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think uh, sort of midway through the conversation, I realized that he thought that I was a journalist calling from the St. Louis Post Dispatch. So I I I. I I explained that I was actually a first-year medical student, and uh, and then you know he said, okay, fine. Well, you know, next time you're in New York, give me a call. We'll meet up and and we can have uh, a coffee or something. So I said, great, that's fine. So I hung up the phone, called American Airlines, booked a flight to New York, and uh, and uh, and then called uh, called up his uh, assistant and said, hey, you know, I'm coming to New York. And I remember her. She she said. Uh, who are you? <laughs> you know, and, and I said I explained I was a medical student, and she said, "Well, and Gerald Boyd wants to meet with you," mm-hmm. and so I ended up going. And I bet he was not expecting you to come so quickly. <laughs> no, not at all. So this was like maybe maybe a week later. I took off two days from Gross Anatomy Lab, and I just my brother happened to be in New York, so I stayed with him, and I and I went down to the Time build to the New York Times building, and uh, they let me in, and I remember they they showed me into his office. He was busy with something. And I was looking around, and I, you know, and I, and I noticed him, you know, with, with, in, in pictures with, uh, in autograph pictures with, you know, all these dignitaries and sort of political leaders. And I remember thinking, well, you know, should you really be here? Uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, and so he he walked in and 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 uh, very very impatiently actually, and and said, look, I have five minutes. What do you want? And I sort of explained that I was here. To see if I could write for the New York Times, and uh, and he said, well, f- fine, show me your clips. I said, well, I don't have any clips. <laughs> and he said, well, show. Well, you worked at Time Magazine. Uh, show me your, the stuff you reported uh, at at the magazine. I said, well, I actually didn't get any reporting bylines, but I do have some story ideas. So I sort of took out these like story ideas and I handed it to them to him, and he just looked at me like I was completely nuts, and and. Without even looking at, at at anything I'd shown him, he said, "You can't work here." Uh, and I said, "Well, why not?" And he said, "Because you're not qualified." Uh-huh. <laughs> and 
So, but but what what happened, which was actually <coughs> uh, very very good, is that he he called a medical writer in uh, a woman named Elizabeth Rosenthal, and she came in and um, turned out that she was she she was trained as a, as a physician, and uh, so she and I talked for a while about um, about how to meld the two careers of medicine and journalism. And she said, you know, go back to St. Louis. And uh, if you if you're really interested in journalism, uh, do a do a uh, an internship at the St. Louis Post Dispatch and send me your clips and you know you have to do it the right way. You can't just sort of walk into the New York Times and ask for a job. But so that experience just it really just got me a contact there. And then I went back to St. Louis. I actually followed her advice. I got an internship at the Post Dispatch and I sent her my you know my stories on wild turkeys and and wasps uh, in you know terrorizing. Uh, you know, diners. Insects. Uh, uh, wasps, yeah. <laughs> uh, terrorizing diners on St. Louis sidewalks. And, um, and uh, you know, eventually I pitched a story to, to the Times and they, and they uh, accepted the query and um, that was that. Well, I should tell our readers that they can, uh, our listeners, that they can go onto the nytimes.com and do a search for your name and see all 60 stories you've written for them. The first piece was about lepers, a lep- uh, former leper colony That's right. in, That's right. uh, in Louisiana. <laughs> uh, we only have about eight minutes left. I was hoping uh, you could uh, talk a little bit about kind of the role of medicine and popular culture. There's been a uh, a lot of attention being paid to shows now like uh, House and Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. which make medicine and especially life in a hospital seem kind of glamorous and mm-hmm. fun and uh, and uh, and rewarding in all kinds of ways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. How real is any of that? Well, you know, ER of course too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it it should come as no surprise that it's not <laughs> it's not real. It's it's not realistic. I mean, there are some elements to it that are, um, you know, I, I would say that that medicine in the end is a very reward, rewarding profession. And internship, and I write about this in the book, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade that experience now uh, for, for anything. And, and I would probably go through it again if I had to, to become a doctor. Um, because it taught me things about myself and you know, I mean, just on a very base level, just about my physical hardihood. You know, I, I had no sense that I was going to be able to to go through the sort of brutal uh, experience and come through it. Uh, so I think, in that sense, it was um, it was very rewarding. Um, you know, the, the shows like House and 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 ER and so on, they they, they present medicine in a very different way than, than it actually is. Um, you know, and, and in both in sort of obvious ways and also subtle ways. Like, for example, House. You know, you have these these doctors who do everything from cardiac catheterizations to to colonoscopies. Well, you know, no doctor, uh, you know, in medicine today can do both those things. Uh, it doesn't happen. Um, so, so on that very basic level, it's not realistic. But the the sort of the, the larger um, uh, uh, Aspect in which it's unrealistic um, is that you know it, House, for example, has you know shows these these um, this Uber doctor named House who has this team of younger physicians who go out and do all this investigative work and solve medical mysteries. Well, the reality is that in teaching hospitals, things are so busy that that when 
when interns and residents today are presented with a medical mystery, they're more apt to respond with groans uh, because it takes a lot of time to solve a medical mystery, and there's just so much to do. Not solved in an hour like on the show, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And you, you don't have one patient. You have, uh, you know, 15. So, um, but, but you know, it, it's nice. I, I like watching the show, and I, you know, and I like that medicine has sort of permeate, permeated the popular culture. I think the next step is uh, for people to get a sense of the way medicine really is. And I don't think we should be afraid of that. I think medicine has been very, it's been insulated for a long time, and um, and people have been very reluctant to show medicine in its true light. But I think the more we expose the way it really is, uh, I think that's apt to spur reforms within the profession, but also, you know, spur patients to really understand the way, you know, doctoring actually occurs, and 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 really uh, arm them with knowledge that that they can use to protect themselves. One of the things that I've always wondered is that uh, on those medical shows, there's not enough South Asians uh, because they're not represented. You know, you'd expect in a lot of hospitals to have South Asian doctors, nurses, et cetera, and now Praminder Nagra is, is on ER. But uh, is that just something that we're sort of projecting the South Asian community is always complaining about this? Is it when you actually go into hospitals, are there a lot of South Asians? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There, I read some stat like 10% of interns or medical students in the country are of South Asian origin. Does that sound right to you? Uh, it, it sounds low, actually, okay. to me. <laughs> I, it, it, it sounds like there, there are more, and, and you have to remember that there are also a lot of foreign medical graduates right. coming from India and, and, and the Commonwealth uh, that, uh, of South Asian origin that take uh, internships in sort of out-of-the-way places in the U.S. You add those numbers, uh, I think it's more than 10%. Okay, in the last uh, couple of minutes we have left, uh, one, uh, I was curious what you thought of this trend of others uh, like you, uh, uh, South Asian doctors who are also writing, doing journalism. Uh, do you guys communicate? I'm, look, I'm looking at the back of your uh, book. There are blurbs by Sanjay Gupta and yeah. Abraham Verghese, uh, who are two, two of the best-known uh, Indian doctors who write. But, yes. uh, you know, there's also, obviously, Atul Gawande and Mano Jain. Are, are you folks, like, uh, do you keep in touch at all? Or? Yeah, we, <laughs> sure we do. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I met uh, Abraham, actually, probably don't remember, uh, through, through you. Uh, he came before the, the Tarakna Das Award at, at uh, Barnard. Right. Uh, a while ago, and, and and you asked me to say a few words um, uh, about the impact he had made. So I met him um, then, and I met Sanjay uh, years ago. Uh, we were on a panel together. So yeah, we do. We we do communicate. I mean, probably not as much as 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 we should, um, uh, and, and as much as I'd like to. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, let's say friendly competition also because there's uh, <laughs> there. They're all so good, and uh, and uh, you know, but they spur me and and others to to do better, you know. But what I was what I was hinting at before is that you yeah. know we love what you guys do, but man, you make it tough for the rest of us. You know, what do we tell our parents? Uh, we're not doctors and we're journalists. Where look at this, there you've got the best of both worlds. There, where parents are really happy, you get to do what you want, you get to write, and you're a doctor. So. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I want to thank you uh, for joining us, Sandeep. Uh, tell us where people can. I mean, this, the book's out now, and yeah, it's the, all over the place. So the the book the book again is called Intern: uh, A Doctor's Initiation. 
Uh, you can learn about it actually on my website, which is just uh, www.sandeepjohar.com. Uh, uh, Sandeep, yeah, Johar, J-A-U-H-A-R. And um, I, I'm going to have a book uh, reading at uh, Morningside Bookshop uh, next week, uh, the 20th, February 20th at 7 p.m. And you'll also have other readings, and they'll all be listed on that website, yes, so people yes. can get that down the road. Yeah, so. so on the website, well, it's all is- there. This is terrific. Thank you for being our first uh, author guest on this new technology on Blog Talk Radio on Saja, and we really appreciate that and wish you lots of luck. My pleasure, Sri. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Bye-bye.